0: lance pleasure to have you here
1: thanks for having me
0: um getting ready for this podcast i didn't know where to start because you have a very very interesting (laughs) life um so let's go back to the beginning when did you start training and when did you start training for wrestling
1: i started wrestling when i was nine years old so I guess we kind of jumped in full force right when I started wrestling because my brother Colin, who's younger than me, he had actually been wrestling before me. Yeah. So he had started when he was five and I was still doing karate at the time, but karate was more of like just a thing you put your kids in just to keep a, keep us busy, I guess. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do karate the rest of my life. Like it was just something that I was doing and I did enjoy karate at the time, but I went to a practice and watched my brother wrestle. I was like, oh, so I can just like grab some other person and like try to control them and score points for doing it. And like, it's one-on-one. There's no, at that time, I'd already been playing baseball and stuff like that. And you kind of get the team thing. And um, the other, you know, the pitcher's dad is the head coach and the first baseman's dad is the, one of the assistant coaches. And you get into that whole thing of like, well, I'm just as good, if not better, than some of these guys. Why do you have me out in center field? Or why am I not starting pitcher when I'm the only lefty in the region? And stuff like that is kind of, you know, at nine years old, ten years old, like this stuff was already going through my head because I was on a good regional baseball team at the time because baseball was really my true love. And that's what I enjoyed the most and felt that I was the best at. But wrestling, I could really prove like the mano y mano type of – mentality that either you're better than me today or I'm better than you. There's nobody else to blame. And so getting into wrestling, I just jumped into it full force right from the beginning. My dad bought me a pair of wrestling shoes on my ninth birthday. yeah, And we went to practice that day because my brother had practice and I just fell in love with it instantly.
0: Did it come
1: naturally to you? No. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. And that's why I say baseball was my first love because I was a really gifted baseball player. I could, um, you know, steal bases. I was a pretty good hitter. I was a good pitcher. I could catch the ball in the field. I was good at fielding the ball. Um, Baseball was really a sport where I thought like, oh, this is where I'm going to get my college scholarship from. And once I started wrestling, I enjoyed wrestling more, but I wasn't near as good at it naturally and it took a lot of work and my brother on the other hand was a natural like it just came to him like nothing no effort and so i think that's kind of where him and i training together and having that like brotherly competition with each other as the years went by it kind of helped build my skill set because he was naturally gifted at it but i had the work ethic without being pushed by someone else like my dad would always have to be pushing him and he pushed both of us, but I had that self motivation where I already knew that I needed to get so much better to catch up with these kids at my age that were wrestling since they were five years old. So there was more of a, um, kind of brotherly love thing going on where we were, you know, I was trying to push him and the, you know, strength and conditioning part of it where he was making me better in the skill aspect of it. And that was kind of where, the balance came in for us to grow together.
0: Did your upbringing from baby to nine kind of set that mindset for you?
1: It's kind of tough to tell because I was the, like in both sides of my family, I was the first grandchild. So I was like the, you know, the very first one. My parents had me when they were still in high school. There was like, you know, my mom's side of the family, she was one of seven. So there was, I was living with my mom when I was first born. So I had, you know, 20 different people taking care of me all the time. It was kind of like everybody was all in because I was the only grandkid and the only nephew and stuff like that. So as I had my brother and then my youngest brother, and I think it was more of a thing where I just learned like, the mindset of you know i was always dedicated to something yeah and so i think when i was in karate i was 100 percent dedicated to it and even at a young age like i wanted to learn i wanted to get better at it i was always fixated on getting to the next belt Mm -hmm. or getting the next stripe on my belt like it was always there was goals every every day that i went to practice i never really for any sport i never really went to a practice and just like went through the motions were you competitive back then yeah I was always a competitive person since I was since I remembered playing sports I was competitive like even t-ball like losing a game I'd be so mad all the time (laughs) just like and like most other kids didn't care we'd all go get ice cream after the game and I'm all pissed off for no reason (laughs) (laughs) but it's like I think it was just that I wanted to I just wanted to be the best at whatever it was that I did
0: Can you go through the journey that led to you going into St. Heads, in terms of all the tournaments, the training, everything that got you up to that point?
1: Yeah, I think I could give a good Cliff Notes version of it, basically, (laughs) because there's so much that went into wrestling in general for my family. Once we really got serious with it, it became... A thing where we would go to practice four days a week and then friday after school we would leave to go out of town whether it was pennsylvania west virginia anywhere in neighboring states or in the state of ohio to a tournament on saturday you would weigh in wrestle then we'd go stay in a hotel somewhere maybe in a different state that night and wrestle another tournament the next day and sometimes wrestle double bracketed like our uh, age division above us or a weight class above us or whatever it was just to get extra competition. And it was always just about getting matches and getting experience. And so the years of like nine to 11 or nine to 12 were all about just getting as many matches and experience as possible. And at that time we started going to national tournaments. Like as a kid, There was a Trinity Award where if you won uh, a kickoff tournament in the fall and then Tulsa Nationals in January, then Reno Worlds in the spring, you won the Trinity Award, which is winning all three of those. And that was like our main goal Mm -hmm. once we started competing nationally. And so my brother was a six-time Trinity Award winner. And I had only won it one time in that entire period that I competed, but it was... I felt like that was the, that was partly motivation because I was still getting better and trying to catch up with these other kids that I was wrestling against and basically trying to make bigger strides between years to make up for that lost time that I didn't wrestle. So I think in the middle school years as a kid, it was always, we would, we still played baseball. We still played soccer in the fall. We did other sports, but. When it came down to what we really focused and practiced Mm -hmm. was wrestling and so even in the off season we had to drill in the basement twice a week over we had notebooks and booklets full of notes from camps we've gone to um we used to go to ken churto's camp jeff jordan's camp um just coaches nearby in northeast ohio because that was like the hotbed of wrestling so we had uh, Jeff Leonard and um, Eric Burnett, who was still coaching up at Elyria and, you know, giving back to the community up there. I mean, we had so many good coaches from a young age that would be involved in our lives out, outside from my dad, because my dad, he would watch everything that happened at camps and basically take notes on everything. that. So we had it when we would go home, we could drill um you know for months and even years like we'd go back through the booklet and there's moves that you could remember from you know 96 that you could go back through and drill and we would that was the main thing was just drilling and putting time in outside of training because there's a lot of kids that i even talk to nowadays that um even at the high school and collegiate level where the the extra work they know this because many people have told them the extra work is what gets you to the next level. But actually doing the extra work and being consistent with it is the only thing that's going to really get you there. And it's just another piece of the puzzle that kind of adds to things. And that was something my dad kind of knew of back then when we were growing up, and we were going to all these camps. It's like, you can go to a camp and you can learn all these things. But You're gonna forget it a month after that if you're not implementing it into some sort of drilling techniques or in your practices so a lot of the a lot of the note-taking and even videos like he had the little camcorders back then and we would film techniques at the camps and um just to remember that type of stuff for when we'd come home to be able to drill it together and colin my middle brother he was around my same size, we were probably only, you know, five or maybe 10 pounds at the most different. So even though he was a few years younger than me, we would be able to drill in the basement together all the time. And that was the extra work that we really needed to get better through those fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, you get to a point where you can be the best in the nation as a kid but you still, that's not your end goal. Mm-hmm. The end goal for the next level was to be a four-time state champ. So our our eyes were always set on preparing for high school. And that was kind of my dad's mindset too, was all these matches aren't just to show, look at us. We're really good wrestlers in middle school. Because at the end of the day, that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It's preparing yourself for the next level. And that's the same with high school. as. You have goals to be either a state champ or a few-time state champ or whatever it is, but that those goals only help prepare you for the next level, which would be college mm-hmm. for most people that are trying to wrestle for a scholarship. And so I think our, our main years, fifth through eighth grade, were preparing for us to go to St. Ed's and do well there because the lineup at St. Ed's, just to make the lineup for a lot of people is just a goal for them we had five teams. It was, you know, you had your gold team, which was your actual varsity team, then your green team that wrestled varsity at all the other tournaments, but they didn't go to the state tournament because they weren't the starter. And then you had your freshman team, which was just the freshmen who couldn't make the other teams. then you had, um, a senior team was, was all the seniors who didn't start. They, would, they had like their own, I mean, we had like 60 people in the wrestling room, maybe more. Yeah. And so the the mindset at St. Ed's was excellence and tradition. and And we knew that from a young age because we would, you know, starting in fourth or fifth grade, we started to go watch the high school state tournament. And we were always watching older people that we could look up to and watching what they're doing and seeing if there's anything they're doing that we're not that we can be adding into our training regimen and our learning like learning skill sets and stuff like that. So we were going to the NCAA tournaments, we were going to high school state tournament. And I think all of the the outside things, like basically just studying without studying. Mm-hmm. You're going there to enjoy the tournament and watch people wrestle, but you're still learning while you're watching. Especially at a young age when you look up to these different types of people who are older than you you see like oh they're you know they're doing this and they're they're setting this shot up a certain way maybe we should try and see if that works for our style or you know just little things like that and then when you watch a college tournament college is completely a level above high school and you're like oh man what are they what are they doing like the hand fighting is it's a whole level above of what even high school level is like there's everybody in college has to know how to hand fight to some extent because that's where the points are scored you know your your initial your hand fight your setups everything has to be way better than high school and so we implemented a lot of that different stuff into our training in middle school just because when you have that little bit more of intensity than another kid who's in sixth or seventh grade you're going to break them mentally Mm -hmm. and so there was a lot of things that we did as far as that goes that helped us prepare to get to St. Eds and in the end it it made a huge difference just walking into that wrestling room because we were already prepared and there's a lot of kids that go from middle school to high school and they're like oh man this is a lot different this is a lot tougher practices mm-hmm. or um there's weight training involved or there's uh you know practice with one of the coaches after practice just to work on a couple moves. And this is stuff we'd already been doing since fourth and fifth grade. My dad would have people come from if there was really good wrestlers around our weight class, or our age group, and my dad would talk to their parents and they would talk to my dad and we would set up they called them crazy dads weekends, they would fly into town and stay at our house. (laughs) And we would go practice at one of the local schools. And it was basically a camp during the season for a weekend, where you'd get better wrestling than you'd get at any tournament because it's all the best kids that we could bring in the area. So there, were, there was a lot of that that went on um, for years. And that was more preparation than a lot of people could probably even fathom at that time of wrestling. How did your dad figure all
0: this out? How did he come up with the plan? that he have a wrestling background himself? Like, what did he
1: do? My from- dad was more... And he'll even he would even say this too is like he was not into sports. He did sports because his buddies did it and like he had fun doing it. But his his main reason for doing this stuff for us was because he wanted us to be successful in the sport where he didn't really take it serious when he was that age. Mm-hmm. Even at the high school age, because he didn't really do that many sports as a kid very seriously. He did more like he would play baseball, football, wrestle, ride dirt bikes. Like he did all the sports but never really took one of them very serious. So I think once he saw that we were taking it serious and we were committed, that's kind of when he jumped on board as like, hey, if we're gonna do this, you guys are committed to it and we're all gonna commit together. If you don't wanna do it, tell me and I'm not gonna waste my time trying to make you better and help you get better. And just, that was kind of the agreement of if we're gonna take it serious, we need to do it as a team. Mm-hmm. And it showed because my youngest brother, he didn't really like wrestling as far as like doing everything you had to do to get to the tournaments. He loved to go wrestle in the tournaments, but he hated training. Yeah, And so that's, that was kind of like, okay, well, if you're not gonna do the practices like your brothers are doing, you're not gonna go to the tournaments and you know you can kind of do your own thing if that's what you wanna do. And so he just chose not to wrestle. So it wasn't like a forced thing. Yeah, It was, if you want to do it, we're going to take it 100%. If you don't want to do it, then that's fine too. But I'm not going to have you half in, half out. And so I think a lot of getting through the learning phase of things was a lot of trial and error of what worked for us, what didn't. I mean, there was a lot of things that we did to get better that, other kids, even those days would not be able to do or even go through. And we see that a lot even nowadays, where people ask my dad, what he did with us, and they'll try it on their kids. And it's just not, you have to have the mentality as your kid has to have that mentality to even want to go through the just the intensity of things. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have the intensity throughout that time, you're going to break. And so there was a lot of training and the training was hard, the uh, the intensity, the discipline, all that stuff was hard, but we had a lot of fun outside of wrestling. And so our home life was always about having fun and enjoying life and, Mm -hmm. you know, playing other sports outside of wrestling season and riding dirt bikes and go karts and just having fun outside of the sport. It's not always just wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. And I think that was the main thing that he did very well with us was not keeping everything so straight laced Mm -hmm. and straightforward with just wrestling down our throats. It was wrestling was hard during the season and we were fully focused on wrestling, but we did a lot of fun stuff outside of that, that made it more enjoyable. And I think that goes with everything with the trial and error aspect of it too was there was limits to okay well this week we're not you know we're not feeling too hot we're not going to go to those tournaments Mm -hmm. on the weekend uh we'll just you know stay home or you know go to the rec and play at the pool or do something something like that just to take a weekend off Mm -hmm. and kind of let you rest you you're still doing your workouts during the week but we'll take the weekend off of travel and and just kind of play it by ear basically but he was for some reason he kind of he knew how to push us but not push us overboard to where we were burned out and I think that was and I don't really know how I I think it was kind of a thing where he just kind of he knew our mannerisms and he knew the way that we always trained so if something was off then that meant that it may be time to pull back for a little while or, you know, not push as hard or give us the night off of doing uh our extra stuff, whether it was doing the stairs or the treadmill or the bike or just anything like that. And if it was even just one night that we took off of that stuff, you'd see it the next day. Yeah. Just in the morale in general. So I think it was it was a lot of pushing and pulling, just trying to figure yeah. out of what's the what can they handle and not about always having it at the limit of what we can handle but always kind of testing our limits and then being able to pull back and okay we're going to take a few weeks off now of tournaments but we're still going to drill we're still going to go to practice and um you know to prepare for the next big tournament that was coming up in the spring or whatever and he was really good about doing that and that was A lot of it was that he knew that we were pushing ourselves when we were there in the room and when we were in any training but he knew that there needed to be time off Mm -hmm. and so that was just kind of you know that it's it's very unique because aside from other kids not really wanting or being able to do that at that age they'd rather go play with their friends or you know so-and-so is having a birthday party this weekend and we're at a wrestling tournament or whatever it is it kind of showed that we were that we were disciplined with it and we were all in with the sport and we knew that it had bigger meaning than just that weekend tournament and it's hard to think like that as a kid no matter how serious you are in a sport it's it's hard to think that way when you're still a kid and you still want to have fun but I think that's why he did such a good job outside of the season of letting us do other things and have fun and go on trips with friends and it just the balance of it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of parents forget the balance of there's still a life to be lived and still have fun. And you're actually going to enjoy your sport a lot more when you've had that decompression time as well. So I, I think there's a lot of... uh a lot to be said for that, and he just knew how to do that very well with us. It seemed that he mastered
0: wanting success for you as, or your family and your brother as individuals rather than being a parent who wants the success more themselves. Mm -hmm. You see that a lot where parents are way more involved than their kids are, but um, he really set you up at a high level of professionalism at such a young age, and was able to deliver it in such a, a palatable manner that you guys basically had a team.
1: Yeah. Like
0: it wasn't just your dad, it was a coach. You guys had your own feedback system, everything at such a young age. And this was before there was anything. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of this stuff today is very hard to implement. But you're doing this back a long time ago when this was unheard of. Yeah. Um When did you get introduced to physical training?
1: Well, we were introduced to just push-ups. We started doing push-ups. Every morning we would do 30 push-ups in my parents' bedroom when we got up. And that was like (laughs) our thing just to do together. Like this was when my dad could do 30 push-ups. And he was (laughs) like, all right, we're doing our push-ups today. So we would all do 30 push-ups. And with my dad, it was all about form. It wasn't about putting a ton of like... Like, oh, I can do 100, but I'm bouncing my chest off the ground or I'm not going all the way down. Like, everything was about form with every – with pull-ups, if your chin didn't go above, it didn't count. Yeah. With push-ups, if you didn't go down all the way and all the way up, it didn't count. There was no, like, half reps, even with dips, because everything was body weight when we first started. But it all started with push-ups in their bedroom uh, in the morning before we started our day. And it got to a point where he bought this, like – It was like one of those stands and it had the pull up rack on one side, the dip coming off the other side and then the push up like handles on the other side. And that was how we started. Like that was what we started. We'd start with pull ups, push ups and sit ups and we would do sets of that. And that was our, like as kids, that was our workouts. And it got to a point where we were doing so many reps that you couldn't get through a workout in time like you'd be down there for hours if you really did all the reps that we could do. So we would add ankle weights uh, to make the pull-ups harder. And then with the push-ups, I mean, we were at 10 sets of 250 push-ups at one time <laughs> before we started moving on to weight training. Yeah. But uh, like sit-ups and and dips and stuff like that, it was always, we would just add a tiny bit, like whether it was a the vest, the weight vest, mm-hmm. or if it was ankle vest, ankle weights, it was kind of like everything was body weight because he didn't want to overstress our our body as as kids you're growing yep. so it was still kind of a concept of your kids shouldn't lift weights during that time like in the 90s it was kind of like if you if you lift weights you're going to stunt your growth and my mom's 4'11", so we're all like laughing <laughs> like, dude, we're not going to be tall anyway, so what's the difference? So it was, it was kind of a thing where I was probably 12 or 13 years old before we even started touching any weights because we knew other wrestlers who were weight training at that time, but it was, it was a thing where my dad, he, one, he didn't want us to have injuries. Yep. So all the body weight stuff was we still, still felt stronger than everybody we wrestled and we were only doing body weight training. Um, and I think that that started like, we, we started with that one machine thing and it turned into a whole basement full of weights and dumbbells and, um, like preacher curl bench and everything you can think of down there, like old school lifting style with one section of mat space. So we could still get our drilling in and airdyne bike and treadmill. Like we had, we got to a point where it was basically a fully functional gym down there. And that's where we did all of our workouts. That's where we did all of our outside training with just of our drills. Um, and I think it, I think it was a a thing of where we were able to do all this stuff because at that time as well, if you were under 13, you couldn't even go into like a Bally total fitness or something like that. Like they wouldn't even let you in with your parents. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't even go to a, like nowadays you can take your kids into the gym as long as you sign a waiver or whatever but back then it was like we had to have whatever we needed in the basement and so it kind of started that way but it was it used to be the on the carpet (laughs) push-ups and and it turned into push-ups pull-ups sit-ups and then it turned into adding a little bit of weight to that and then turned into doing actual strength training with you know bench and incline bench and we did a lot of dumbbells rather than bar. And I think his main thing was the stability. Yeah. You're getting more stability in your joints and your muscles. Instead of having to go super heavy, we could just stay with that and just be strong with those dumbbells and and I felt like I felt like it was a, a really good concept. Like as I got into high school even, I felt like doing things with dumbbells. My core felt stronger and, you know, just a a lot of little things that you don't really think about as a kid, but he definitely put a lot of thought into the entire process. How much did that stand to you
0: when you entered the Saint Ed's program?
1: The crazy thing is, is Saint Ed's is built on winning and for decades like before we even went there, it was a number one, number two team in the country. Can you you, uh, explain for anyone who doesn't know like what St. Ed's is in relationship to wrestling in America? So St. Edward wrestling is like the Lakers, basically. Like multiple time national team champions. And I don't even know how many state titles they have as a team now, whether like individual and team. I mean, it's, It's got to be, I think they're in the 70s as far as team goes, something like that. But as far as like individual, they're in the hundreds, like individual champions. And like their overall legacy and dynasty is to be the best. It doesn't matter. Like Blair Academy in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. That used to be like our main rival because they were always number one and we were number two the years that I was in high school, and I think it's if you go anywhere in Northeast Ohio, I mean even in Columbus or Cincinnati, everybody knows who St. Ed's is. Like they just even in football and basketball and hockey, like it's it's a a sports heavy school, but still has great academics. Um, it's just known for, you know, being a brotherhood. So it's, it's a really good school outside of sports as well, but it's just known for its sports the best. And that was a school that I think since I was in fifth grade, I was like, man, I really want to go to St. Ed's and Walsh Jesuit was another school that was in the Cuyahoga area, but they're both private. So you didn't have to live within a certain range to go there. And I was kind of torn between which one I wanted to go to, but I had already been basically training with a coach from St. Ed's at the time since like sixth grade. We would work with him and learn from him. He was teaching a lot of guys that were winning state titles. And my dad was, he would stop at nothing to have a good trainer work with us and Mm -hmm. good coaching. I mean, we got a lot of, we caught a lot of heat from a lot of coaches from our club because we would go to like three different club practices a week we'd go here one day, here one day, here one day, because my dad always wanted us to get different looks and get the best training that we could get. Yeah, very smart. And it like, there is a loyalty aspect to a team, but if you're not getting the best from your team, you have to get that from somewhere. And so that's why at a very young age, I learned that loyalty is one thing, but if it's to your fault, then it's not really loyalty. Mm-hmm. So it's, and that was the one thing that, I really appreciate it is that we would go to all the best practices and there were nights we would drive 30, 45 minutes to a practice and you're sleeping in the car and you wake <laughs> up and then you gotta go wrestle these other little tough kids and like it was it was uh it was a grind. But I think everybody in northeast Ohio knows that St. Ed's is the team to beat. And there's other really good teams up there, even public school teams, but St. Ed's is just they have a legacy of Creating state champions, even college D one All Americans. I mean, it's uh, it's overall, it's just a great school academically, um, sports wise, and just in general. There's people that you'll that you'll have lifetime friendships with, and that was kind of why it was so important for us to go to Saint Ed's. Is it the structure that sets it apart? Because
0: the structure maximizes the opportunity for the mindsets that come into it
1: yeah i think the structure of the the team itself the wrestling team and the the coaching and the ideas that they have brought from generations of coaches there and um ferguson was like the first really good coach that started the dynasty of saint ed's wrestling and he had so many sayings and little things that he would do with the team. And he he actually came from money. So he had a gym in his basement. And so in the off season, my dad, his best man of his wedding was actually a St. Ed's wrestler. Yeah. And so they would go in the off season and wrestle at Ferguson's house. And it was open to kids all over the city and state. It wasn't just a St. Ed's thing. Yeah. And so that's kind of where the mentality of like bringing the best guys together to train and get better came from was Ferguson, because even though he coached at St. Ed's, he wanted everybody to get better together as in general for Ohio. So I think that that type of structure and mindset really brought St. Ed's to the cream of the crop, I guess you could say. What was it like to compete for St. Ed's? I guess for people that don't know what St. Ed's is, you could compare it to like Iowa wrestling. Mm -hmm. Like when you put that singlet on, you know, everybody wants you to lose, but you also know the guy across (laughs) from you is afraid to wrestle you just because of that singlet. And so it was like, you always had to prove that you were the team to beat. Like you had to go out there and show like, this is why we're saying Ed's, And I think that was really cool. That was something that I always enjoyed was putting on the black and gold singlet. And like we had different singlets for different rounds of tournaments too Mm -hmm. so the black and gold singlet was always our final singlet so once you put that on like you feel invincible like that was always the thought like all right i got my like it was like a superman costume you would put that singlet on and you were just like like you just felt like you could perform your best and i think that was just something that watching from a young age you watch all these other high school guys while you're in middle school they have the black and gold singlet on in the state finals. You're like, oh man, I can't wait to wear that one day. So I feel like it's kind of like the Iowa or Penn State now or Oklahoma State. Like, oh man, these little kids all want to wear that singlet one day and be in the finals. I think that's kind of where it first stemmed from was, was that because you see all these guys winning and they're wearing that and you're like, that's what I want to do. And that was that's kind of like, and then there were kids younger than me. There's kids that are at Ohio State now that we're watching me do that in high school, yeah. and it's like, "Oh, I want to wear that singlet, so it it's pretty cool because it is part of a like a big legacy just to to put that singlet on and represent St Eds. Who was your wrestling coach? Um, John Heffernan was the assistant coach mm-hmm. at the time, and Greg Urbis was the
0: the head coach. head coach. What are some of the biggest takeaways you took from them?
1: I think with coach Erbis, he's like such a humanitarian, like he's, he's one, he's like the best person ever. Like he's still involved with St. Ed's high school, even though he's not the head coach anymore is like the motivating others and uplifting others. Like, even if like in the real world, not even just on a team structure, but just like always knowing that there's people that could need some uplifting. And so if like you see somebody down, like, for example, like in the wrestling room, you see somebody struggling that day or they're not having a good day at practice, you you know, lift them up, get them jogging with the rest of the team or get them, you know, if they give up a takedown or something in practice, like takedowns in the room was like nobody wanted to give up a takedown. Like that was the like you didn't want to go to the locker room that day knowing that the guy next to you beat you in a match or something is yeah. like always the the head to head and and it was always regardless of what happened in the room during practice everybody was cool with each other and everybody had um a positive mentality leaving the wrestling room even if you had a bad day and it that kind of stuck with me because for even now in fighting it's, it's kind of like man if i didn't have a great day in practice or if i'm bringing my weight down a little and i didn't feel great still keep that <laughs> mentality as I leave the room, mm-hmm. leave everything in the room. And as I leave, kind of keep that positivity with me as I go. And I think that's one of the biggest things he was always big on being positive and and having that you could still have that killer mindset, but not not to a fault, like mm-hmm. keep that killer mindset, but also still be humble and, and still be positive And, you know, basically treating others how you want to be treated in a way even though you're a killer on the mat doesn't mean you have to act that way outside and he kind of helped instill that in a lot of people who were struggling with that you know they would win a state title and then think their shit don't stink and (laughs) then they're getting beat up in the room the next monday again it's like it's it's a humbling experience so don't don't think that you're above anybody else just because you're really good at doing one thing
0: and then the assistant coach was Coach uh, Heffernan. Heffernan. Yeah. What was he like? He's a a pretty accomplished
1: person, right? Yeah. He was, um, I would say the biggest thing, he's an Iowa guy. So he had the mentality, the, um, you know, the Gable mindset and everything that was instilled in him through Gable. So basically anybody that wrestled at Iowa during Gable's time as a coach there, that's an extension of dan gable because he would repeat himself every time gable would talk to the guys in practice or yell he would repeat it twice always say the same move twice you know or say repeat the same saying twice and that was something that heff always did he probably still does today just like repeat it twice because then it's instilled in your head like i wouldn't have remembered that from 20 (laughs) years ago if he wouldn't have done that so it's like it's funny because when you think about it in the moment you're like this guy just keeps repeating himself but it really sticks with you the more that they do that if they have something they say that they want to be remembered they're gonna say he's gonna repeat it and say it twice and and that was kind of it was kind of cool to have in high school of all the knowledge that he learned from gable when he wrestled in college and bring that back to a high school level sport and be able to kind of transform that room into college level wrestling in high school, basically. And so that was something I was kind of grateful for is somebody who wrestled at a high level in college who could come back and say, hey, this is what these guys are doing at the next level. Why not implement it here and get these guys prepared earlier on? What was
0: success like? at saint ed's and the success you accomplished
1: i think at saint ed's success was expected just because like that's why you go there right mm-hmm. you're you're expecting yourself to do exactly what the people before you have done and at my time of going to school there I was a freshman when the very first four four-time state champ from St. Ed's won, Ryan Lang. And he was like, basically like my mentor that year. And I, I had grown up with him and his family and, uh, you know, watching all of his matches when I was in middle school at the state tournament, those three previous years. And then being with him my entire freshman year, watching him, succeed and being able to accomplish that goal of being a four-time state champ that year it was really cool to see but it was also like it solidified in my head like that's what i want Mm -hmm. like winning a, a state title as a freshman was really cool winning a bunch of big tournaments throughout the year was really cool winning some big matches but like knowing that he had just done that and it was somebody i looked up to and that it's possible and that it was because I knew there was a possibility of it happening, especially after I won my first title, but it was like, okay, well, I won my first title. Now I can watch him win his fourth. And then you're like, oh, damn, like this is like, now I have to do it because I just watched him do it. And I looked up to him for so long. I'm like, I have to do it. I've already won one. I can't lose any now. I just gotta keep going. So success was always, it was always expected, but it was never really talked about just because everybody that went there knew like, you're supposed to win. Like you're, you're, you signed up for this. It's a private school. It's not like it's public and you just live in the area. Like you signed up for this. You came here. Somebody from your family probably came here in the past. Um, and that's what we, that's what we trained for. And that's what we prepared for all the hours that we put in, in the basement growing up. And all the tournaments you know raising money walking door to door trying to raise money for national tournaments just for flights and hotels like that's why we did it to get ourselves to this point point. and so success was i expected it out of myself i didn't expect anything less than the best outcome but there anything can happen so it was kind of a lot of people were there was a lot of people that i watched that should have been state champs or should have done really well that didn't just because they just let it get in their head too much instead of just trust in the work they put in and trust in the time they put in. And there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of ways you can look at it, taking mm-hmm. it from a school like that where it's expected. Maybe, you know, I had a friend who, whose brother was a couple times state champ ended up being a national champion from Michigan. And, um, you know, you could see he wanted to be so good. He, he was good. He put a ton of work in. It was just sometimes mentally, it just wasn't clicking. And you see that a lot though. Like that, that's why there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. When you start really thinking about it is like, man, I'm supposed to be here, but now I have to do it because I've already come this far. (laughs) So that's with, with the success of the school, there's a lot of people who think like that and take that into account, I think it kind of hinders them a little bit. What was it like competing in your last tournament for St. Ed's? Hmm. That's pretty crazy to think about now. Yeah. (laughs) Because I was just at the state tournament last weekend watching these kids. Um, I would say that it's bittersweet because you know there's still a job to do but you know you're like man i won't get to do this again like win or lose like this is my last shot to do it and i've already won three titles but the fourth one is just i think it's just bittersweet because you know you're done after that so and my brother was a freshman at the time going for his first um I don't know. I would say that it was uh, a better word for bittersweet would probably be like relieving just because I knew that like we trained so many years and put so much in to get that. And it was more than just me. It was like um, my team, my family, my brother, um, shit, grandparents, like everybody that put any ounce of effort into you. Yeah. Oh shit! I can't fuck this up. (laughs) So that was like, it was probably like relieving after I won because I was like, oh my god! Like it was cool. I could kind of relax for a second, and I knew that there was a lot on the horizon after like going to college and starting the next set of things. But in that moment, I could like just take a deep breath and be like, okay, we we did what that was our goal from being kids. Like we got through that point already had our full ride scholarship and my brother had already won his first. So I wasn't like nervous about yeah. him winning. So he, cause he was a weight, a couple weights below me. So I was like, all right, well now I, I just have to get it done and then we can enjoy our time. But I would say it was relieving, relieving and bittersweet cause it was over.
0: We'll uh, touch upon it as we continue this, but from everything you've accomplished and done, How does that compare to the relieving feeling of that fourth?
1: um, Dang, that's tough because it's so different. I would say, like being a four-time All-American in college is a—it's a good accomplishment, Mm -hmm. but it's like not winning a national title. You're like, man, would you want to give up four All-American statuses for one title? Yeah. Probably not, but some days I would be like, oh, maybe. Because <laughs> like I was so being so close and not getting it uh, my senior year. But I didn't have – I think also losing my senior year in the finals, I didn't end on a note of like, man, I finally got it done. Yeah. Like it was more fire, fuel for the fire actually for me to start fighting and move on to another segment of life. Where in high school I was able to kind of close that out and be like, this is exactly what we, that was our goals. This is what we did wanted to do. And that's what we did and did it pass with flying colors, you know, had some great matches, set some good records. Um, I, I don't think, I mean, obviously like winning belts and stuff in MMA is it's awesome. And it, it really is a great accomplishment for myself, but, um, like when it comes to money and other things like that, I feel like that kind of changes the way you think about it Yeah, because there was no money for winning four state titles. It was just all the effort you put in, whether or not you can make it count when it mattered. So I think that was like, that's something when you think about it, you're like, man, that's, it's crazy to be a kid and have all these goals and be able to accomplish them with such discipline and, and be able to, like our whole family be able to go through that and yeah. and do that together because fighting is a lot different. Fighting's like you're on your own.
0: Well, it's complicated.
1: Yeah. It seems so pure,
0: the fact that you had this setting of which your dad created a this ecosystem of, okay, here's the goal, here's the objectives. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you're all part of this team. You're giving back feedback. And then you're there, you're at this tournament, you're like, and you can even see you like going whole crap, like this yeah. is, even now it's still a huge deal.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and you enjoyed it along mm-hmm. the way, like you got to have live a life, you didn't, um, as I talked to you before, like pinned, mm-hmm. like that documentary, like opened my eyes to this day, and you're like, there's so much, there's two different ways to approach this. Yeah. And, um, How did that come about? Like, uh, who who had the idea of? Because it was released in what twenty eleven,
1: I believe so. Um, But it 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 just been a little. It might have been when I was still in college. Actually, I can't remember. But um, it's a really good insight. We'll put a link to it Mm
0: -hmm. just into (laughs) that whole ecosystem. But how did your dad feel
1: when you won? Like, how was like he had? I think he was even more relieved than me because like he would get he still gets like this with my fights like he gets more stressed out than we would because when you think of like somebody you love or care about like even with some of my teammates that fight now it's like there's nothing you can do in there except hope that they win yeah and so coming from his side of things where he doesn't know like how we're feeling inside or like if we're feeling our best or if we're ready to go out and you know, just attack or if we're going to, you know, sit back and kind of wait or like he, like that was always his, like he was so intense all the time when we wrestled because he only wanted the best for us. So he would make him so nervous. He'd be a wreck. He'd be all sweaty and just like beat red. Like it's like you would see him after matches and he'd be like exhausted because of the up and down (laughs) adrenaline of the entire tournament. Yeah. So I think for him, it was really relieving to get that with, my brother's first title and my fourth title um, because like that was why we did all the work we did and he sacrificed a lot of his professional career just work-wise to take us all over the country and and do the things that we were able to do to get to that point to accomplish that so I think that that does it does a lot for him just to see us be able to accomplish goals that we had all set together. Even though they were my goals, he was 100% a part of it the whole yeah. time. Before we go
0: on to the transition to Ohio State, can we touch on what your dad did and the animals and the bears of how, <laughs> <clears throat> like that blew my mind, of uh, just seeing people wrestling bears. <laughs> but growing up in that, did
1: that, um, what was that like? What did that feel like? When I look at it now that I have my own kids, I'm like, dude, that's crazy. You can't believe you let your kids like go play with bears and like feed tigers and like clean bear poop out of cages. Like it just sounds insane now, but that was literally when I was born, I was still in like a carrier and I would travel to these different shows with my dad where they would have the wrestling bear or people would be able to get their pictures with the bear at state fairs and stuff like that like i don't really know how so he met so sam was my brother's godfather and he met sam just through a friend and like oh this guy's got a bear and he's like oh cool and then they just like started talking and became friends somehow and and he was like why don't you work with me you know we'll do this thing together and you know we'll build it and he didn't really know like it started with one bear and it turned into having nine bears and a bunch of tigers and wolves and lions and you know we had a black leopard at one point and just having all these different animals and we even had some rescue animals also like from drug busts in new york like alligators and kangaroos and like weird just random stuff and it it was like it kind of escalated from the time i was born until about when i graduated college i believe was when like when that all that stuff went down with the guy in zanesville and then all the animals in the state at any private thing had to be like taken to a zoo or somewhere else so i mean during our entire life it was normal though yeah like in the in that movie or documentary Sam the guy that's in there he even talks about it he's like he's like yeah sometimes these guys like they don't come like they'll come here and feed the animals and then they'll work out and then open their Christmas gifts and it was like we took care of the animals every day like there were days where I would drive home from school like if it was the off season from practice we would drive home from school and go feed the animals and either Sam or my dad would meet us there. And like, it was just normal life. Like we'd have to get, we had a giant freezer, probably about the size of that room and go in there and whether it was ODOT dropping off dead deer, like we'd have to pull deer out to thaw or pull chicken out. Cause we had a Tyson meat sponsorship and yeah. pull out bread and uh, fruit for the bears. Cause they were all black bears. So they didn't really eat any meat. It was mainly like fruits, vegetables, bread, like, they would give us like these old, uh, they weren't old, it was just too old to sell in stores anymore. So we would get truckloads of like, donuts and like all different types (laughs) of pastries and the bears would love it. We'd give them (laughs) just like snacks of stuff. And like we did, we basically I mean, they were like our animals for, you know, 20 years. So it was uh, and Sam, that was all he had in his life. It was like it was like our family plus his animals like he was like he had tons of dogs it was like time an animal died it was like his kid because that was all he lived yeah and so I mean there was a lot of controversy about him as a person but he was like he would have done anything for our family and like anybody that crossed us would be he would do anything <laughs> so it was it was uh it was a it was strange now to think about but it provided us with a life because they made a lot of money in their time in the 90s yeah. even early 2000s um because it was such a weird thing to people that you could get a picture with a tiger or a bear at the you go to the fair and you just you know pay 20 bucks and you get a, a little framed picture with them and it's like it was very i mean it was I don't know, it was a good way to make money. And it was something that was so unique. People didn't really know, like, what, like, nobody's ever gonna just get a tiger and like start taking pictures. (laughs) Like, we, my dad was really good at training the animals. And he loves animals. So it was like, it was easy for him because he already loved animals. So training animals and, and like being there and going on shows like it was fun for him at first, obviously, anything over time becomes more of a job than Mm -hmm. just fun, but it was a family affair. I mean, we did, we did it for shoot. Once I graduated and moved to Columbus for Ohio state, that was kind of when I stopped like taking care of the animals with them as much, but it was, um, he lived probably 10 minutes from us. He had a 23 acre farm and we all had our own bears. Like, like I had, my bear was Apache. And then, like, we had, I mean, we had nine bears, so each of us, like, if we got a new cub, like, all right, well, this will be my bear, I'll name them this. They were all Indian names, yeah, like Indian um, tribe names, so uh, Sam was really big into that. He named a lot of animals uh, pretty cool different names, but it was just, we all loved animals, and it, it kind of just was easy for us, and we knew the dangers of it, we knew that, you know, big cats are super dangerous. If you think of a house cat, like how skittish they are and how weird they are with stuff. It's the exact same thing, but it's 500 pounds and it could kill you in a second. So like having six or eight of those in big pens and um, like it was very like once we moved away from just bears and started getting big cats, that's it definitely got more nerve wracking. But we always knew like like with the wrestling my dad had a system for what we did and Mm -hmm. you know how we would feed them and give them water and not sticking your arm through the gate or you know just little stuff like that and it was just normal life (laughs) which sounds crazy (laughs) now but it was like it was normal um
0: well, it's like anything when you grow up; it's normal life to you until you get out into somewhere else, you're and like, you see that no one you're else like, is. Doing oh, so <laughs> maybe yeah. it is different. Um, I have two more questions on that, if you are okay with it. Yeah. One is, how does it feel to wrestle a
1: bear? Like, how strong is a black bear? Bear, like the black bears are, they're super strong animals, but they also wrestle each other in the wild, yeah. as playtime basically. So they enjoy it. As long as you're like not trying to like pull their hair or like really hurt them they're like you wouldn't hurt them you would just piss them off but if you can play with the bear and wrestle the bear and like have fun like yeah they'll put their mouth on you but they don't they're not trying to bite you they're not trying to hurt yeah. you they just enjoy wrestling which sounds funny because we wrestled our whole lives but when it comes to it they just want to like that's their way of just playing Yeah, like you'll see bears in the woods just playing and climbing trees and like messing with each other that they're just the fun the most surprising thing about a bear that you wrestle is how good they are at wrestling like they naturally have like technique like they can shoot on your leg they know positioning like they know how to leverage you it's it's really weird to think about but they don't they don't try to wrestle you to hurt you yeah for them wrestling is more of like a playtime thing so as long as you're not trying to do anything like dirty to them they're not going to bite you or try and kill you <laughs> and that's kind of why wrestling the bear was always fun for us because we could go in there and get a workout in because the bears are so strong but they're barely using any energy against <laughs> you it's it's really wild to think about but i mean we did it all the time <clears throat>
0: Have you ever met any person or anything that comes close to the power behind the bear? (laughs) No, No, it's just an an amazing thing. It's crazy.
1: And how, I mean, agile they are. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because they look just like fat turds. Like you look (laughs) at a black bear and you're like, dude, that thing is so fat and lazy. (laughs) But the way that they can move and climb and run, like they're super athletic. And they're super muscular, like not, it's not the fact that they're just strong, but mm-hmm. like when you grab a bear, like on the shoulders or like, you're like hand fighting or playing with it, you're like, dude, this thing is ridiculously strong. And they're not even like, that's just how they are. They're norm, like they're just playing with you, but they could easily just slap the crap out of you like <laughs> with no effort. It's really weird. And the second part
0: of that <laughs> is after you wrestle a bear, and constantly wrestle a bear. And then you go wrestle, like, <laughs> yeah. is there a- any carryover? Or does your mind change, I like, just wrestle a bear? <laughs> pretty much everyone else is just, like. The,
1: well, the fear pretty... of, like, you get nervous before matches, like, for wrestling, but it's because you don't want to lose or, you know, get out-wrestled or whatever. But, because wrestling a bear is a lot different. It's like, for me being a lighter weight wrestler my whole life, my technique compared to a heavyweight wrestler is way different. So, if it was like a heavyweight guy that was wrestling a bear all the time, it'd probably be pretty similar to what he's going to wrestle in the match, except yeah. strength wise. To where for me, it was mainly the fear thing is like, okay, I'm not afraid of this person. I just have to be better technique wise than yeah. this person now. So, it changes the aspect of your thought process of um, like, I'm not afraid like the fear isn't there of wrestling yeah. this person, the um, I guess like the nerves are there to lose to this yeah. person based off of them being better than me. So it definitely because I'm like, I don't care who it is, like, I'll fight anybody, I'll wrestle anybody, I have zero fear of that. But knowing that I can still lose to that person, somehow, is like that's always gonna be there. And is it the the actual
0: fear of losing or is it the fear of losing for you and your team, everyone around or in front of people you know?
1: I think with fighting, it's the fear of losing for your whole team, your family, your kids, because now you're providing, you're financially providing. Yeah. Where with wrestling, even in college, I wasn't providing financially for anybody. It was mainly just being, this is for me and my team. Like if I lost a match and we lost the dual meet, then yeah, then I screwed the whole team over. But it's for fighting, it's different because there's so many other things that go into it where you don't just focus on the winning and the losing. You think about, oh man, if I lose, then I only make this much instead of this much, or. I don't get a title shot off of this if unless I get a finish. Or there's just so many different things where in wrestling, you win and you move on. Mm-hmm. Like in a tournament, you win, you move forward. It doesn't matter if you pin them. Tech fall, close decision and overtime, it's still a win. And in fighting, it's definitely a lot more to that. So it, I think that that's the main difference is you have I guess way more responsibility when it becomes your career instead of something you just love to do. Jump back,
0: you're finishing St. Ed's, why Ohio
1: State? I think I wanted to kind of break the mold a little bit with people leaving Ohio to go to other schools. And Russ Hellickson was the head coach at the time and. They had a great coaching staff and they actually had great teams throughout those years but i think it was he was even vocal about not recruiting guys he's like well if they want to come here they'll come here it was never like we want you on the team we want you at ohio state we want you to stay close to home he was never a guy that did that and mm-hmm. everybody that has wrestled for him or has been recruited from ohio state will say that like where you could almost feel like you don't feel like they're recruiting you yeah but i had a such different relationship with the coaches like mitch clark was one of the coaches at the time and i watched him as a little kid win an ncaa title um so i just knew who he was and i looked up to him because he was a leg rider and that was like my style of top riding and and wrestling and he worked with us when we were kids too. My dad would have him come up and he would train us for an hour and teach us things. And so we had kind of a relationship with him even before he was a coach at Ohio State. And so when he was coaching there and Tommy Rollins was a coach there, and um, I think Ross Thatcher was a coach there at the time and Helix. it was just more of Like I felt comfortable with those guys, Mm -hmm. not knowing that they weren't going to be my coaches the next year. I still felt comfortable with the team and the guys on the team and it being two hours from home was far enough away, but still close enough if I needed to go home for anything. So a lot of that factored in because there was Penn State, Cornell, Northwestern. Um, I really... In high school, I really wanted to go to Iowa because of the Brands brothers. I used to watch all their tapes. I would sit in Coach Urbis' office. He had tapes of all these guys, like old, like in the 90s tapes. I would put them in, just watch certain matches. And Coach Hef would be like, watch this. This is the style that you're doing. Like you're attacking, you're heavy on the head. You're really intense with the forward pressure. Like this is what the Brands brothers were best at. And that was the style that I liked to implement. And I wasn't great re- at wrestling on my feet, and I, but I was good enough to be intense enough and hand fight enough and athletic enough to not give up many takedowns to where I can make it a match against guys who are way better than me on the feet. And then on top and bottom, I felt like I excelled a lot more than other guys anyway. Mm-hmm. So I would watch a lot of their like footwork and hand fighting and their takedowns and attempts at shots. And so i think that got to it got to a point where at the time i don't remember exactly who the coach was at iowa at the time but it was in a transition phase of where the brands i think uh tom brands was at uh, virginia tech and i didn't want to go to virginia tech and i i liked iowa because of their history and it was just like saint ed's (laughs) if you look at like the exact numbers of champions and history and legacy and who had coached there in the past and all the guys that were graduating that were staying there just to train for the olympics and stuff they always had so many good guys in the room iowa was like a no-brainer but i didn't really want to live in iowa city because I, I trained out there with a kid named tj siebel and i would stay there for like a month or so in eighth grade once in a while and We would train at his house and we'd go to the iowa room and get private lessons with some of the wrestlers there and uh it was just like it wasn't for me i was just like i don't know if i could live here even though campus life is different from Mm -hmm. just outside life i felt like i meshed really well with the guys in columbus at ohio state and there were so many other schools that i thought about going to but then even Penn State, when I took a visit there, I just didn't feel at home. And I felt like Ohio State was like, this is home. This is something that I can, I can succeed here and still enjoy my life. What was
0: that first year like, going from high school into college? Was it, did you feel like a duck
1: out of water? Or are you like, oh, I've been building up for this. I am ready. Well, I was really excited about it, just because one, it's college, it's a giant campus, a lot of people, a lot of fun. Like, I love to have fun, I love to go out, I love to meet new people. It was, it was new, because I'd already been like, I've been through this structure my whole life, and I knew how to discipline myself when I needed to, but I still like to have fun outside Mm -hmm. of the seriousness of things that I needed to do. So the first semester of school, well, it was on quarter system back then, but we did. We started training and we started wrestling and we started getting into the season because preseason was when you do the wrestle offs and and actually we stepped back to the summertime before I even went there. There was a huge coaching change all over the country, so there was a time where I could have chose to go to a different school in the summer after I graduated it uh, St. Ed's because Helixon was leaving and there was a new coach coming in and he was bringing probably a whole new staff. And I was like, Oh dang, this is changes everything. Cause then Mitch Clark wasn't going to be there anymore. And he was like the main reason why I wanted to go there because we meshed well together. And I was like, dang, well, I don't know where any of these coaches are going to go because there was like a 15 coach change. Like Sanderson went from Iowa State to Penn State and then um Tom Brands went to Iowa and then I mean there was just coaching changes everywhere so nobody yeah. knew like I didn't know where everyone was going and it was the deadline to make a decision was before you knew where all the coaches were going so I was like screw it I'm just going to I'm going to stay here and make the best of it we have a good team here like Jay Jaggers was there on the team at the time and he was only like a sophomore so it was There was a lot of time left to have a couple good guys Mm -hmm. still on the team. So that's when Tom Ryan comes in. And it was Tom, um, Lou Roselli, who's at Oklahoma now. And uh, I think Tommy Rollins was the coach there for a year, or two years before he moved on. But then uh, Joe Heskett, he was an Ohio guy, went to Walsh Jesuit. He was multiple-time state champ. And he was a national champ for Iowa State. And he was training for the Olympics at that time. And he was actually one who had a huge impact on my college career. But as far as going into the first year of school, I was just expecting to redshirt. I didn't think I was going to train, get used to the college style of wrestling. I could compete with the guys in the room. But I was like, if I have a whole year of doing this and doing open tournaments and getting ready, then I could probably come in next year and, and be a force. Without really trying to rush myself, and so I still did the wrestle off um, because he wanted everybody to do it. Like two guys at each weight to wrestle off because that's when they started doing the crowds for wrestle offs. Like, what's a wrestle off? Basically, you would wrestle another guy for the spot. Okay. So there's ten weight classes. You'd wrestle the other top guy, and there were some weight classes where there was like four or six guys. So you'd wrestle like a tournament structure, and then the final matches would be best of three at, um, some wouldn't be best of three, some would just be one just to get you a match. But you would wrestle in front of a crowd, so they'd have actual date of wrestle-offs and try and fill the arena of Ohio State fans, which was good because it gave you a feel of what it would feel like in a dual meet. So I wrestled my, my match and I was losing the match um to one of my good friends he was i planned on you know red shirting and he was gonna wrestle but they had us wrestle each other and um i ended up winning and like shoot i put him on his back in like the last 30 seconds of the match or something and ended up winning the match and i was losing and i was like i was like oh, and he like all pissed he stormed off and <laughs> he's like one of my good buddies and he uh like he helped me out a lot freshman year he picked me up from the dorms on the way to practice all the time and yeah like we we're we we're really close and so it was like it was a weird thing because I'm like well I'm not wrestling anyway so it doesn't matter and it's like maybe it was just mad because I beat him in that match in front of people or something but I was like I'm not wrestling this year like that's not gonna be like that's your spot don't worry about yeah. it <laughs> so We get closer to the season starting and then tom's like i want you to start at 149 and then jason's going to move up to 57 and um jaggers is going to go down to 41 and i was like i was like dude this is crazy like the whole lineup just got jumbled around and it worked out really well like long term but it was one of those things where i was like i wasn't expecting to wrestle like i was expecting to redshirt and improve and so i was kind of thrown in but i was like screw it like i know that i can put the work in and get better just because like i said before there's levels like you can be a really good high school wrestler but it's still so different from college that you have to tweak your style even if it's just a little bit to be able to succeed and win matches because in college a guy who's not even very good that knows how to wrestle for the full seven minutes he's gonna be a lot tougher to beat than any high school guy yeah and so that was my main thing and I think I lost like 12 or 13 matches in the first half of the season. And then from January through NCAAs, I think I only lost another three. So it was like, it was a big, it was a big learning process. And, uh, I was able to make it to the semifinals of the NCAAs that year. And I took, um, I believe I took third at big tens that year and it was just it was good. And, and I was like, well, now I'm in like, there's no reason to redshirt now. I've already I placed fourth my freshman year. And I was like, we'll just go with it from here. Like it was like, I didn't I felt kind of mad that I didn't get an opportunity to redshirt that first year. But once I all American, I knew that I was capable of mm-hmm. being there. And I knew that I deserved to be there. I just needed to get better. And I think with college wrestling and anybody that watches college wrestling on TV, like the NCAAs, no one's guaranteed a win or guaranteed a national yeah, title. So like, there's she, so many upsets every year. This year. Yeah. And it's yeah. like their first round, there were so many top seeds that lost and it happens all the time. So for me to be mad at being an All-American, which like my goal is to win, it's never just to yeah. make the podium. And that was kind of why Like my goal was never to be on the podium in high school and it was never to be on the podium in college. It was always to be at the top of the podium and be the best at what I'm doing. So that was hard to deal with that year because I was like, man, I'm like, I felt like I did everything right and I did really well, but I wish I would have had another year to get ready. But as my sophomore year went and my sophomore year was 2008, 149 pounds. That was like arguably the, best year of like the best bracket for college wrestling ever so it was a stacked weight class can we just for
0: terminology what
1: does red shirt mean so red shirting in any college sport is basically where you're not a starter and you're you're still competing but you're basically competing unattached at different tournaments or kind of doing you know, you're kind of on your own, but you practice with the team. Mm -hmm. Like you train with the team, you still learn everything the team does. You still do strength and conditioning with the team, but you don't have the, you don't get the, you know, going with the team to tournaments and um, basically it doesn't start your NCAA clock. Gotcha. So you get a, there's some schools that do a gray shirt as well, which is where, instead of going to college you take a year off and you just train and you can train with the school during their like regional training center hours Mm -hmm. or whatever and then you can do a red shirt after that but nowadays like you can take an olympic year as long as you've wrestled freestyle and have like some credentials you can always take an olympic year which Mm -hmm. is another redshirt year basically so it just doesn't it doesn't dig into your four NCAA years gotcha so it's like another year to improve and that's um that's why we've seen these last couple years a lot of anybody that was in college during the COVID year they basically got another year just because of the pandemic so that's kind of when you look into guys that are like 26 years old wrestling (laughs) they're (laughs) like seventh and eighth year and you're like what the heck this guy's still in school but i mean you have a you could do a redshirt year you can do a olympic year if you're eligible and then you can do uh, a lot of these guys have had the covid year so yeah. i mean they're seventh year seniors Man. it's crazy what does the term all american mean all american for wrestling means that you're top eight in the country so out of 82 or 83 college wrestling teams you placed in the top eight so it's and it's i mean it's super hard to do in the division one level Yep, any division is hard but division one is considered like the cream of the crop best wrestlers like you look at thousands of wrestlers that get recruited every year for college then you break it down to 83 teams and then out of those 83 teams you don't not even all those people qualify for NCAAs. Yeah. So then you have, you know, forty some guys or thirty some guys that actually qualify for NCAAs. And then on on top of that, you have your seeding, depending on how your season goes. So, I mean, you could be matched up with a guy who's either a great matchup or bad matchup for you first round and your season can be over quick. (laughs) So it's being an all-american is it really is an honor to be an all-american in any sport mm-hmm. but when you think about it it's um it's a lot of hard work to get to that point and uh you know to even make the top of the podium is it's a whole other ball game so sophomore year you've been through your freshman year
0: you've kind of understood the lay of the land is the Camaraderie—the similar at OSU that you had at Saint Ed's—I
1: think it's similar, but Ohio State in general was in a rebuild, basically. And Jagger's, Johnstone, myself, Mike Pasillo transferred with Tom Ryan from Hofstra, so we had um, him as well. And then JD Bergman—like we had a team that wasn't really a rebuild team. It, it was a yeah. rebuild together, though, and so. My sophomore year, we ended up taking second as a team. And we did really well. I mean, I think that was uh, Jaggers won a national title that year. Pasillo won a national title that year. And um, I think Pasillo won that year. But then um, J.D. Bergman took second in the finals that year. I mean, we had a really good run. I was an All-American that year. But I think when it came down to it being like being on that team like we created the lay of the land for what we wanted ohio state to be Mm -hmm. because up until that point we had had a couple teams that have taken third as a team and the i would say the structure of ohio state wrestling just wasn't developed yet and so that's what tom was bringing to the table with you know, being at Hofstra for 12 years and doing a really good job with their program at the time. And, um, you know, he coached Wideman and a couple of those other guys that were moved on to fighting. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of the the way that our minds worked because Pasilla was a state champ. J.D. Bergman was a multi-time, multi-time state champ. Um, Jaggers was a four-timer. Johnstone was a two-timer. I was a four-timer uh guys that we recruited outside of us the main core group were uh like Reese Humphrey he was a I believe he was a 3 or 4 time state champ in Indiana I mean we had just so many state titles so these we all knew how to win yeah and that was the goal as a team but you have to have everybody on board it can't just be half the guys and so we had to kind of phase out like the old school thinking with the other coach like all their his recruits mm-hmm. we they were either had to be on board or they had to be off the team and that was kind of our freshman year was kind of that or my freshman year was like yeah. fading out of the extras that you know just skimming the fat basically how was the Strength training
0: evolution going from high school into the collegiate sector.
1: Dang, do you want me to be honest or no? One hundred percent. Um, well, to be completely honest about it, I felt like the way that I trained through high school was a better training plan as far as strength strength training mm. and conditioning wise. All college wrestlers and all college coaches kind of know how to get you in shape um as far as like peaking for the big one that's a whole other ball game like that takes a lot of uh a lot of college a lot of colleges in general don't really have that down yet Mm -hmm. they send guys to nationals banged up and beat up and ready to go to spring break so that's like that's a whole other area you could go over but i think the strength training that i did all growing up and the knowledge space that I grew just from learning and like things that worked for me and things that I did that helped me feel stronger than other guys and and built my base. I think that a lot of it, if I would have continued doing it all the time in college instead of doing like the school program and like trying to fit mine in on the other days. Mm-hmm. I think if I would have stuck with my program that I was doing I felt like I would have um continued to to grow a little better or faster maybe as far as strength went or keeping strength during the season um conditioning wise it was pretty similar to what we did at home but yeah I, I would uh I feel like it's too much cookie cutter stuff and it's probably a lot of colleges that do that I don't think it's just one college that does that. I, I think there's like, you can't have the track team doing the same workouts as the wrestling team. It's just different types of muscles being used that, you know, you can focus on certain areas together, like base areas and then have us do an accessory work separately. But we never, everything like every paper was exactly the same for every team except football. They, obviously they had so much money. They had their own people. Yeah. And, um, but I would say that, uh, a lot of times we would do like in room in rep cause we had our weight room in the wrestling room and there would be times where we would do team workouts in there that I liked doing better than at the field house Yeah. because it was actually applicable to the sport, you know? And, um, The coaches were really good about that and like heskid and lou roselli like they were olympic level coaches and they were you know around these guys all the time they went all over the world to travel for wrestling and wrestled themselves so they knew what was being done in other parts of the world just strength wise and things that we could utilize to get better and get stronger and um, muscle endurance is huge for wrestling so a lot of the things we were doing with the cookie cutter structure, I just didn't feel like helped my wrestling. It's, um,
0: the college sector is a
1: different ball game. I feel like it's very political over everything with else. The,
0: there is, and not to play devil's advocate to the strength coaches, but the the concept of individuality and doing a strength program for the athlete statistically is very hard because the resources, unless you have a lot of money allocated, mm-hmm. is not there, and to it 's logistical a logistical issue of you have all the uh, all these athletes, so many interns, so many people there mm-hmm. um, but I think statistically everything you say will be backed up most yeah. athletes i 'm not sure what it is in the last few years haven 't checked up, but even if you look at f- football, a lot of the times, people 40 times, everything will just drop. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting to go back to how far ahead your dad was. Yeah. And then how smart you were to start understanding, well, this is what works for me. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of people
1: find that out too late. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's tough, too, because when you're like you don't want to be the guy who's like I'm not going to do that that's not going to help me so yeah. you still do it and it's not that it's detrimental to you but that energy that you have like wrestling's a long season so the energy that you have to do an outside workout from practice and strength and conditioning is like I'm going to still go you know we had like Jesse Owens South and Jesse Owens North on campus like I would just go to those or the RPAC Pack yeah. and just get my workouts in but your body's just dead tired during the season. So trying to add all that extra in and even though like I did learn some things like some techniques of how to do some powerlifting and stuff like that, but it was never like that was never their goal of teaching us. It was mainly just like get through this and move on. So I think a lot of that came down to me just picking my battles with that type of stuff and, and trying to stay up on what I knew worked for me. And it's like, it's one of those things too, is if it's not broke, don't fix it, just add to it. Yeah. And so it, it definitely, I mean, I had a lot of talks with my dad while I was in college of like, dude, I hate these workouts. They, you know, they don't even know what the hell they're doing. And like, it was just us going back and forth about like, what got you here? What's going to work? What, what continues to work and, you know, don't stop what's working for you. And just kind of finding the energy and the time to do that stuff outside of what we had to do with the school. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I would agree 100% that you'd probably not keep the same athleticism or strength to a certain extent by doing, like, the basic training through yeah. there.
0: It's, um, just to stay healthy is a hard, mm-hmm. hard aspect in wrestling.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so when was fighting the back of your head? When did that become like, hmm, was it
1: in college or was it towards the end of your college career? I started watching fights in high school because I remember I went on a senior trip with a bunch of my buddies after our senior year. And we were we rented a lake house in uh, like Ocean City, Maryland. We were hanging out there, partying, having fun. And there was a fight on that weekend. And we ended up ordering the fight and we were watching it. And then we all just started like picking fights in the living room there. <laughs> and so it turned into like a drunken fight fest basically of like yeah. everybody trying to choke each other out without knowing how to do anything. Like none of us did jujitsu before and like We all, most of us, well, one of us, two of us played hockey, the rest wrestled. And so everybody kind of knew a little bit how to fight. So we were all just beating the hell out of each other. And I was like, dude, this would be so fun. Like, it'd be so fun to just go in there and fight somebody and like do it without getting in trouble. Like that was the main thought back then. Cause you're like, who knows if they were even getting paid? Like you never thought of that. We were like, "Oh, who, this is cool. Let's watch these guys beat each other up." <laughs> it was never like a sport at that time. It was more of just like you turn it on because it's something new and it's fun to watch. And so that was that kind of sparked my interest at first because I knew I, I already knew I was going to OSU at that time, and I knew uh, Randleman and Coleman came out of there, and it was just uh, I was like, "Damn, those guys were great wrestlers, and they were doing really well in Pride and UFC and." It kind of turned into a thing. My sophomore year of college, uh, Uriah Faber came to Columbus to do a photo shoot for Cage Fighter, which was DeSabado's company at the yeah. time. And um, uh, I was always tight with Mike DeSabato, just talking about wrestling and fighting and everything else. So Faber was in the room at the time just doing the photo shoot and I got to talk to him and kind of pick his brain a little bit and he was like man if you have any interest at all you know let's let's get together after you graduate and from that point on i was like that i think that's what i want to do once i'm done and if it doesn't work it's fine because i wasn't a guy who always just went out and got in street fights yeah like i was probably the guy who would be like all right guys stop like break it up and then if something went down then help my buddies or whatever but i was never a guy who just like would go to an into a house and start Laying people out, <laughs> so like I, I knew I had like the the mind for it, and like that trigger and that switch is in there, but it's not just like go somewhere and fight people. So I knew that I had the interest in it, and I was just like, well, I'll find out the first time I spar if I like it or not. And so it was always in the back of my mind since sophomore year, and then right after it was honestly probably a week or two after ncaa's my senior year when i talked to uriah on the phone and we just had a great conversation and uh mendez was already training out there and i had watched him he wrestled jaggers in the finals a couple years before that and they had a really tight match that was you know back and forth and controversial and i was tight with jaggers and I was like, oh, yeah, man, that was a really good match. He's <laughs> like, I got fucked in that match. Like, <laughs> So I was like, I was always in the middle of this thing for years and years. But uh, Dillashaw was there as well, and he was just getting ready to go um, on the Ultimate Fighter, I believe, like right when I came out there. So, like, these guys were all wrestlers. They all had the wrestling mindset. Like, Danny Castillo was a wrestler, and he was, um, he was one of the older guys in the group, but he was always like, you know, he kept everybody on their toes. And I was like, man, this is, like, this is just like a wrestling team. Like, it made it so much easier to choose, like, that's where I wanted to start my career because all these guys started from wrestling. And now they're all, like, knocking guys out and getting submissions and, you know, fighting for belts. And, like, I just thought it was cool. And I I had watched Uriah fight a good amount in WEC before I even started fighting. So yeah. I knew who he was. But I just didn't know, like, how popular MMA was really getting. And this was probably like, I mean, 2010 at that time. So it was just starting to break the ice of like mainstream popularity, like not even close to what it is now. So I think that sophomore year of college was really where I like took it and was like, all right, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give it a shot. So in your sophomore year, back of your head, you're like, okay, there's something to this
0: MMA, to fighting. Did that affect how the rest of your
1: collegiate career turned out? Or was it just always there and you were going to get through? I think it was always thing. there, but my main focus was still on wrestling. And it was also the question of whether or not I wanted to wrestle internationally after college yeah. for maybe a year or so to see how I do and and then maybe make the jump to MMA. It was kind of always in the back of my head as like okay well if wrestling doesn't work out or if I don't want to go internationally with wrestling or if I don't end up coaching somewhere then I'll go and start training. Yeah. And during that time it wasn't like you had to be a certain age to start fighting. Like now there's kids that are, you know, 18 in the mm-hmm. UFC so there's a big difference from 2010 until now of the trajectory of somebody's training lifespan basically for MMA where I mean there was guys that were 42 45 years old winning belts still and making good money so I think it was kind of a thing where I was like oh there really isn't a rush for it like yeah I can get into it whenever but that was when I'm still going through you know I still had the end of my sophomore year then I had junior year, senior year. And I'm like, well, if, if that's the case, then I'll just take, you know, I'll take it and just go with it. It's not like, I'm, it's not like I was turning down another job to like, just move my life to California to train. It was yeah. like, that was really the only thing that I had in my mind at that time.
0: When you were, Wrapping up in college,
1: what, um, what did you achieve? So in wrestling, I was able to be a four-time All-American, a finalist, and a Big Ten champion. And I feel like even though I didn't win a national title, I got so much out of the sport mm-hmm. throughout college and I felt like I grew a lot as a person during that time. And it was one of those things where, I mean, I only went to college once, but I feel like some people have, a may have regrets of like, oh, I should have went here, should have went there. That was probably the time of my life where I felt that I made the perfect decision of a school to go to that kind of met all my needs. Mm -hmm. And so that that was at the end of when it was all said and done, I didn't win what I wanted to win, which was a national title or multiple national titles. But I felt that the relationships I made, the, the type of school that it was, the, um, the fun that I had in college outside of wrestling and even in wrestling, like every day in the room was just, you know, busting somebody's balls. And then, you know, when it's time to get serious, we got serious. But I think it was like the perfect match for the type of person I was for the school I went to. And even though I had thoughts about wanting to go to other schools and things like that, it kind of just, it worked out perfectly for me in that sense Mm -hmm. of it, where I feel like some people really like the thought of going to a certain school until they go there and they're like, Oh man, this was the wrong choice. Yeah. So I I feel like I did really well with that. And I was able to really embrace the, the lifestyle of what we were trying to do as a program. And that was to get the program on top and be in the top three of the teams at the end of the NCAA tournament every year. And, Um, even though it was a building phase for us, I feel like we really laid the groundwork for the next, you know, five, six years after I graduated and they ended up winning a team title and having a four-time national champion and multiple other champions, Olympic champion. Like, I feel like it did pretty well from the Tom, Tom Ryan always called us the pillars of the program because Mm -hmm. it was like. We were the rebuild, the foundation of the new program. And, um, I hope he continues to keep that mindset. Like if we went back to that mindset of when he first came to OSU and, and we were all sitting there having a meeting about what our goals were, I feel like he would, um, he would have a little different of a thought process of even today Mm -hmm. of just the things that we did back then to to get the team to the, the place that it's in now, basically. Do you think
0: recruitment or too much focus on recruitment screws things up?
1: I feel like there has to be, there has to be a focus on recruiting at to some extent because you need people that are accomplished already and they know how to win and they know that it's just, extending from high school to college and they're still winning at the highest level but i feel even though you can recruit the best kids in the country there has to be improvement from the time they get there to the time they leave college also there can't like you can recruit even if you recruited a bunch of guys who were four-time state champions if they're not improving when they get to the college level, there's zero guarantee that they're, any of them are going to win it. And thats I feel like that's a big thing that happens at a good amount of schools is they recruit these guys and then they get them to commit and sign. And then it's like a big breath of fresh air where it's like, those guys haven't accomplished anything yet. These guys still need to learn the college style of wrestling. They need to improve from where they're at now. To be able to even compete with the college guys. And then building a structure around that lifestyle for their lifestyle outside of wrestling. Like for me, we were in a a building phase. But for me, like outside of wrestling, like I still like to go out and party and Mm -hmm. be a college kid and live life and, and there's I had the discipline to train when I needed to train, but also not everybody has that balance. Like there's some kids that get to college and have never had freedom in their life and they just like don't know what to do with it. And it kind of takes them out of their focus. And so I think there's so many aspects to having a great team and it isn't just recruiting the best guys out of high school, It's, it's improving their lives you know, psychologically and physically once they get to college. I, I feel like that's a that's a huge thing that I learned from my time in college. I feel like I'm pretty mentally strong mm-hmm. and I can kind of do a lot of things for myself. And, um, you know, there was times where I went to the sports psychologist on campus just to talk and kind of figure things out. Like if you're going through a slump in matches or you're not winning the big matches that you want to win and you need, you need to have all of that in your palm if you're a D one athlete. And I think it's not really, it's not really something that was like, Hey, here's all the things you have available to you to use. And especially now with all the mental health stuff that's being brought to light with people in general, not Mm -hmm. just athletes. I feel like it's even more important now to be more involved in an athlete's life outside of just running them through practices and making sure that they're ready for the match that I feel like there's, uh, and I don't know what any teams do outside of just practice and stuff like that. But as far as from a coaching standpoint, if I were to be a coach at that level, there would be so many different things just from my knowledge of over the years with fighting as well as mm. coaching some kids and wrestling on top of mm. what I did When i was in college compared to now there would be a lot more things that would be available to the athletes just just for their own mental health in general so i feel like it makes a big difference in your performance when you feel like you don't have all this weight you know what i mean yeah and it it could be things like you don't know what's going on outside somebody's athletic life like their home life and when you're a young kid in college, like if your parents are going through stuff or there's family issues, like that's all stuff they have to handle somehow. So they're either choosing to go out and drink it away, or, you know, you could give them an outlet to really, um, get something off their chest or go talk to somebody about, it. and, and they're going to be 10 times the athlete by being able to release that stuff. So i I feel like that's a huge part of sports nowadays is like, how can I excel to the best of my abilities? Even if I'm not the best at this sport, if I can be my 100%, when most people are competing at 80 and 70%, Mm -hmm. that gives me a huge advantage. I feel like that's I mean, just in sports in general, outside even outside of college, but I feel like if there if you can be a good recruiter, that's one thing. But recruiting is just v- the very small percentage percent of getting somebody to the school once you get them to the school then that's when everything else comes into play culture and community plays a huge part a huge part because you want to make them feel like they're involved you want to <laughs> make it feel like a family but also with a family people call you out on your bullshit they don't yeah. just let you do what you want so you, there's a lot that goes into that and i feel like kind of the the tough love aspect of it has kind of gone away with like this new type of culture that we're in now and i feel like that needs to stick around for like really building people to be good humans outside of sports and outside of school and i think that's a big you know the family the community and like the camaraderie of a team that's all things that we had when i was in school that made it great made yeah. it what it is and I feel like once you get away from that and you kind of just focus on being a promoter and recruiter and you're not focusing on what you have here. And that's, I think that's why a lot of guys just don't improve like they could is because there's too much focus on the next group or the next wave. Like you got, you got guys right here that can win. Yeah, You, you have to, you got to feed what you have here first. But I mean, it's, there's so many different ways to yeah. do it. You see all different types of coaches in all sports, um, different ways they coach and ways they get their point across. And some work really well, some work okay, and you know some don't always work. But I mean, that's I guess that's why there's levels to doing it. Did you feel a responsibility,
0: not just for you but for your training partners, that you had to turn up even
1: on the days you didn't want to? You had an obligation to them? 100%. Uh, My dad has actually tried to fight some of the coaches in college (laughs) because of me wrestling (laughs) injured. And, you know, there was other guys on my team that if they had an injury or didn't feel good or something, that, oh, we're not going to wrestle this duel tonight. You know, we'll sit you tonight so you can wrestle next one. And, you know, I wrestled almost every match that we ever had, regardless of injury or not. And um, there was one time that <laughs> it was funny because Tommy Rollins is like, "Dude, I thought your dad was gonna kill Tom." <laughs> and he literally—it was at Michigan State. It was just a dual meet, and my dad called Tom and said, "Hey, is he gonna wrestle? I know he has stitches in his eye because I was wrestling in the room and had you know a big gash, and they had to stitch me up." And it's like, "Oh, 100, percent, he's gonna wrestle," and like we went. We planned on wrestling, and I made weight and everything for the dual meet at Michigan State. My dad was like, he was like, I'm driving five hours just to come watch me wrestle one match, <laughs> a fucking seven-minute match. <laughs> and then, uh, like, I was, I already knew. like I was like, oh, my God, he's going to fucking kill this guy. <laughs> and literally, right as the other guys walking up, it, like my backup guy was walking up to wrestle, I see my dad get up out of the stands and walk down. I was like, oh, fuck, here he comes. <laughs> and he just <laughs> literally like came over at Tom. He's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, just flipping out on Tom, like during the dual meet. <laughs> and Tommy was just like, oh my God. Like, he's like, dude, I thought your dad was going to kill him. I'm like, <laughs> he probably wanted to at the time because yeah. he literally told him earlier that week that he was 100% wrestling. And that was the only reason they took the time to drive all the way up here. And, but it was, it was just funny because he was like, that type, that was just my dad. He's mm-hmm. like, he's not going to pull any punches. He's going to tell it like it is and love him or hate him. He was always honest mm-hmm. no matter what. But I, I think that was, uh, like, that goes back to my team obligation, thinking of I wanted to wrestle in that match, not because my dad drove there, but just because I didn't like missing any matches. Yeah. And there was a lot of times where I was injured with my uh, meniscus and wrestled through a lot of stuff and, and just injuries in general. And I mean, there were times where I was sick wrestling and I mean, a lot of people don't want to test their record just, you know, if they don't feel a hundred percent, but you're never going to always feel a hundred percent. So that was always my thought. Like I should be able to beat this guy on my worst day, which is what training is. is not preparing you to be the best in the best days. Exactly. preparing to
0: be in the worst. Yeah. Um, all right, let me circle back in and ask you some hard questions. Okay. What's it, uh, what have you felt is different training here compared to other things, compared to where you used to train? Do you notice any differences in what we do compared to other ways you used to train?
1: I feel like how in detail Am I allowed to get? Oh, dude, just how, how, I don't know. you make Harlow's Day if you turn me under the bus. So. <laughs> well, I was going to say the main thing that I really notice is the amount of volume that we do and how it's it's structured and implemented and programmed each week has. And obviously it's a noticeable difference because my strength has gone up just from the first test to the test we did a couple weeks ago of there's so much going on, like, internally, from each, each workout that we do. So each exercise, basically. And so we have like the main exercises, the accessory exercises. And a lot of people from the outside think that it's only a powerlifting gym, or it's only like a weightlifting gym, they don't realize that a lot of this stuff goes into your overall athleticism. And like in October when I first started, I could barely like get out of bed. My back was completely wrecked. Like, And so we have things like that at our disposal as well of like the rehab aspect of let's get you fixed and then get you strong instead of like, I'll just work through it. And like basically what I was trying to do when I first came and then yeah. you're sending me to John, like, hey, this guy will fix you. <laughs> you just have to do what he's saying. And like, I'm a completely different person now, just in that short amount of time. And it's nothing short of just having a program and a structure. And like the numbers are there. Like Mm -hmm. we even talk about it with wearing the strap on top of having the app with the numbers and following everything as we go is like, it's the statistics are there that it works. And even even out of the numbers, like even in practice, like when I go and train or do whatever, like I feel a huge difference in just my ability of my body at 36 years old, just from the last few months of training and like my joints do, my joints feel better. My body feels better. I still, I feel like that strength is coming back from when I was younger, when I really just felt stronger than everybody else that I grabbed. Mm -hmm. That type of stuff was starting to go away because I was like leaning too hard into my um conditioning type of training which isn't a bad thing either (laughs) but it's more of like you have to balance them both like we talked about before it's got to be there has to be a balance of like building this outside of camp and then you go into camp ready to train already and then you're building and sharpening that conditioning as you get closer to the fight with your fight training it's um
0: it's very interesting working with you and Dante because the feedback you guys give, and I am comparing a lot of that from working with Matt, because Matt is like getting your PhD with mm-hmm. the the way Matt is and brutally honest. And, um, you learn to become objective and then a lot of coaches tend to forget when you're in a gym, I don't want you to be the best gym lifter. It makes, yeah. it makes no, like how can we help you have an opportunity to increase your skill? Mm-hmm. And hopefully what you're seeing, it's not just the results, but it's not very complicated. Yeah. It's trying to give you organization and hopefully trying to educate you. Cause the more educated you become in the system, the better feedback you can give to me and the whole feedback loop comes in. And to tie it back into what your dad did, I found it so like amazingly smart mm-hmm. to where he was self taught. Yeah. In that okay, we need to have some sort of structure. And we need to know, hey, if you gotta take it easy, let's take it easy. Yeah. Um, and off the bat, you guys knew how to give feedback. Yeah. And it wasn't just like, hey, what is this? You didn't you weren't fearful of questioning or you didn't go through the motions. Yeah. And a training program is always effective as one the buy-in, right? Do you like the culture? Because mm-hmm. our gym is you see it like Westside Barbell is West Side Barbell. Yeah. It's not gonna be sparkling clean. It's not gonna have the most amazing like technology based machines, but the system is sound. Yeah. And then every week we can go, here's what you've done, yeah. And like, you're the one of the first people to go through, like, dude, how much volume is doing, yeah. And like, I think I'm doing more than 60 steps, and turns out you're doing 75 <laughs> steps, yeah. And then you're like, well, this just added 25,000 more pounds of volume, yeah. Um, would you have ever thought that you
1: could do 300,000 pounds plus in like, a workout? I've never even like, I've never even thought of it. But if you if you think about it, you're like, there's no way you're going to do that much in one workout. And it's because it's just such a crazy thing to think about. But when you think of, like, once we started talking about like the load, like, say, when you're sprinting, like the load on each step when you're running, like how many pounds that is per step. And then you think about when we pull sleds and when we do the wagon around the building and like all the things that add up, it's and that's part of the warm-up. Yeah. Like, that's what's crazy is you're building that, that volume. And I think of it also as a uh, muscle endurance as well. Because I know it's good for, mm. like, the sleds are just good for you in general. But I feel like the higher you build that volume, the more muscle endurance you're going to have. Because, you know, your, your tension over time, basically, with the sleds. <coughs> and we're building more weight and more time because you're adding the amount of sleds that we do, plus the amount of weight that we're doing per trip. It's like, it just, you don't think about it until you get into it, like where I'm at. And I'm still pretty much in a beginning phase, even though I've been doing it a, you know, a good amount of time now, it's like, there's still so much more to to grow from. Do you think you're getting more of a sense of, oh, you got way more to give, that you can, we can get way more out of you? I think so for sure. And I I see it mainly with the, like more of the Olympic lifts that we're doing, just because I never really did a lot of that with my dad growing up. It was never like the, the deadlift and the different types of squats that we're doing and using the band work, like on the bench and the shoulder stuff. Like all that stuff is just adding other basically layers of the onion to, I feel like to my athleticism in general. I'm gonna put an asterisk there because
0: we say Olympic lifts, I'll get shot.
1: Um, (laughs) More of the standard, but it's true, it's
0: just um, the, Mm. another thing too, I think that's maybe you found different is every week we can change. Yeah, And I think that drives a lot of people insane and that they like a linear thing, but I keep going back down to the way you came up, it made sense. You're yeah. understanding that
1: things have to change. Yeah, you have to shock the system for it to continue to grow or else it's just going to be stagnant. Um,
0: is there anything that when you come into the gym that you're like, oh, okay, I hate this
1: or I love that? <laughs> I hate the wagon. That thing <laughs> pisses me off. I think... I don't. I I actually don't think I actually hate the exercise itself. I hate the fact that I put myself in that mode that I have to beat my previous time. Yeah, that's the only reason I hate it. Because if it wasn't for time, I wouldn't even care about it. I'd be like, oh damn, we got to do this again. But knowing that what my first time was and what the time was after for the last testing and like every time we do it. And sometimes we do it where it's different weight. So the time's going to be different anyway, but still mentally, I'm like, man, I got to get the best time, especially when we have three or four guys in the gym that day. I have to beat all these guys. Yeah. Like that's my mentality of it. Like if I don't beat all their times, I'm going to be pissed because I pride myself on conditioning, like being in good shape. And even though I'm out of fight camp and I'm not in like peak shape, Mm -hmm. I feel like I should still be able to be the fastest or the best at the conditioning stuff, regardless of what time of year it is. How important slash beneficial is it to have training partners when you're doing weight training? I think it makes all the difference. It, since a young age, when I started doing workouts with my brother and my dad, we were always each other's partners. It goes everything from changing weights to spotting the other person, just to having somebody pushing you, like. Hey, let's go. Let's get this one more, one more, like always having somebody there to get you to that next little bit. Cause every time somebody can push you to get that one last rep or that one last, uh, sprint or something, when you feel like you want to quit, that's making you better. Yeah. And if you're just trying to go through the motions and, you know, say you're following a program, but you're by yourself, you're never going to do that extra little bit because you don't have somebody in your ear, like, get it, get it, get it. You like, there's always that little bit more you can squeeze out of yourself, but somebody else pushing you to do it, it's gonna make it a lot easier. What or how do you
0: like the way we coach compared to other ones? Or how, what do you not like with the way we
1: coach? Like is it different? I think it I think the main difference is we have like the structure of we know what we're doing in the workout, it's not just like, okay, go over to here. Like, we know what the whole workout is. We know what the whole training session is and we know it's programmed for, you know, a certain period of time before we switch it up. And that that's what I really love about it is because it's brought a lot more excitement into me doing my strength training and conditioning because it's different from just, you know, hopping on a treadmill to jog or, you know, getting on a bike and doing a bunch of miles on the bike or, you know, it just brings a different aspect to things that I haven't done in a while. Like, I love all the heavy training, but also we're still doing rep training as well and still working the accessory muscles and like everything in general has gotten better over that time. Um, I can't really think of anything that I don't like that we do because everything to a certain extent has been newer. So, it's been fun to train. Yeah. It's, it's made it fun again. And, like, I've said it to a couple other people too is like, since I've started training here, I've had a lot more um, enjoyment of my just athletic career in general. I'm excited too, because our
0: philosophy is we do all the hard work leading into training camp, and training camp is for a very specific purpose. Yeah. To me, all your strength conditioning, everything must be done before that. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, there is scenarios where you might go have a fight and then a week later, like, hey, I've got this opportunity. Like, cool, well, we've done all the hard work. Yeah, And it's that hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. We just keep changing that hierarchy to give us the best possible outcome uh, for you to, back to skill, because yeah. skill trumps everything. Um, now, when you've got two people of equal skill, having strength in your side is definitely gonna yeah. be a, a big factor in that. Um, Anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up?
1: I don't think so. I think we pretty much hit a good amount of it. Lance,
0: <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>